your bedroom's looking very nice, by the way. It's done. I know, it's gorgeous. Done. Look at it, all soft greens and pinks. It's pretty. Yeah. Brown, isn't it, actually? It's brown. Well, yeah, well, that's obviously green. brown. But this is brown. You're going to have to turn your bed brown, aren't you? No, I think actually it's a really nice bit of change. Otherwise, it's too... <gasps> too... Can you be too brown? <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Great Indoors, the podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Sophie Robinson and I'm Kate Watson-Smythe and today we are talking renovation nightmares, being let down by your trades and spiralling costs. It can happen to the best of us and today we wanted to share our experiences and some of yours and talk about how to get through it in a we can do this. <laughs> kind of way <laughs> and this has really been sparked by you hasn't it Kate because you're like in your current renovation and you've had a roller coaster we've well a roller coaster it's just it's also the juggle isn't it I mean we had a day last week where we were having the windows fitted we had the painter and decorator in we had the bathroom being done and then the flooring people turned up <laughs> for the other room so we were there was just nowhere to go it was cold it was noisy you know, it was full on. And look, I'm here with the other, obviously with the other half. As you know, I'm married to a builder. Uh, he's actually gone off this morning to try and work out how to heat the building site he's in so that the plaster and the cement for the bricklaying can go off because we've got minus temperatures here in East Sussex at the moment. So I've got to send a bit of love to the builders and the DIYers out there as well who are tackling the elements. But obviously throughout my career, I've heard of all kinds of horror stories and as well obviously hearing it from the other side of the fence as well um but first up Kate before we get into that you've been swanning around Paris looking at cushions and fabrics I noticed all last week so before we get down and dusty with the dirt on builders can you tell us what you've been up to can I just say first of all there's been no swanning (laughs) no swanning (laughs) <laughs> oh my god! I mean, I had to get up at the crack of eight a.m. in a very, you know, in a hotel. Oh. I had to eat French macarons for breakfast, <laughs> and and I've had to traipse around so many stores looking at wallpaper, oh. pattern, cushions, fabric. It was work. <laughs> Let me tell you, work with a capital work. Oh yeah, well you're not convincing me. I don't think you're convincing anybody else. But anyway, obviously you've been to Maison and Objet in Paris, which is one of the biggest trade shows of the year haven't had an opportunity to go for a few years did you go was it even on last year it was on last year I didn't go actually I didn't go out to Maison which is the furniture bit I stayed in Paris at Deco Off which is very much the the fluffy end of it oh the fluffy bit okay well um it's always a brilliant I mean I was I got such FOMO I think you got quite a few I did notice from your messages Who needs to go to Paris? Paris is rubbish. I'm not interested in this. (laughs) Oh, no, I loved your stories. They were brilliant. And it was so nice to vicariously live through you seeing, like you said, all the beautiful things, the wallpapers, the furnishings, the fabrics. And I know you go to sort of spot the trends and see what direction interiors is going in. So what are your insights? What are the headlines? Well, it's interesting this because I I was with a lot of other press. I was with, you know, World of Interiors, House and Garden, The Times. And there is an element when you put a bunch of journalists, you know, together in a room on a trip that everybody's looking for the trends. Um, And 
And the thing that I think becomes a problem and perhaps people who don't work in the press don't realise is that obviously when you're all talking together, you can sort of say, oh, I've seen, I've seen loads of green. Green's the trend. Everybody writes that green's the trend. Green becomes the trend. So it can be slightly manufactured. What I noticed, and in fact, what we all noticed was, yes, there's, I mean, for the first day, I didn't see any green. And I was a bit like, oh, green's gone. It's loads of blue. And I've since read stories from people going, oh, I saw loads of green. So there's that element <laughs> of you, you start to look for, you notice what you're talking about. Okay, so, do you, so are you saying you almost go with your own bias? You become, yeah, you do. And so this is why it's very dangerous. And there's a lot of talk about, you know, trends and it's decor shaming and you're not joining in with this and you don't have to do it. Decor shaming? What's that? That's the thing that I think Emma Jane Palin said it last week. And, and she was, the point being that, you know, if you haven't got the latest, latest trend or what someone has deemed to be the trend, are you being decor shamed? And of course, we would say, oh, that absolutely, do what you want to do. Uh, my take on it is rather, of course, you don't have to adopt any of these so-called trends, but it's a conversation that's happening. Be aware of the conversation. You don't have to join in with it, but it's kind of nice to know what's happening. And I think one of the sort of stronger things, I did notice a lot of florals. Oh, hooray! I don't know if that's different. I think there's probably always a lot of florals. There's a lot of sort of imperfect stripes. Oh, what's an imperfect stripe? Well, it's that Japanese thing, sort of tie-dye, wavy wiggles and that kind of thing. I didn't see, but maybe I wasn't looking, for lots of harsh geometrics. Mm -hmm. I tell you what I didn't see. It's soft. Mm -hmm. It's soft. It's floral, big flowers. But then again... I saw tiny ditzy flowers. I did not see any grey. So I think that that was We can clear. draw a line under that one. Can draw a line under that. And I didn't really see a lot of harsh geometric sort of mid-century patterns. It was all much softer than that. But then again, someone else could have gone with a different eye because they don't like lots of coloured florals and gone, amazing, I've seen the geometrics I need to see everything's fine in my world. Was it quite aligned to our last episode where we threw out some of our what we're quietly quitting and we were talking about wavy, comfy shapes, weren't we? Yes, and there's two other points I would make here. First, in terms of fabric and and textiles and colours, I would say the overwhelming, you know, when you kind of stand back and scroll through your Instagram feed or your your camera roll, the colours were definitely warm. And we've said that. There's sort of warm burgundies and rusts and greens and dirty, muddy blues, both pale and darks. It's very much warm tones. But again, you have to be aware of what you're looking at. I didn't go out to Maison, which is the trade fair bit on the outskirts of the city. That's where the furniture is. So I was very much looking at the accessories that would go on the furniture. And there, the colours might have been different because these are the sort of accents, if you like. I did see still lots of curves and I did see a certain amount of boucle, that that sort of very impractical cream boucle fabric. Um, So that was still going on. One of the ways I actually think is the best way to spot a trend and you can do this at home as well, is obviously we were being shown wallpaper books of new collections. And of course you look at the wallpaper because that's the new product that you're there to see. But 
you can do this in, in magazine adverts, in glossy magazines where they have a full page advert. Yes, look at the wallpaper. Look at how the stylist has put the shot together. So, and I was looking, we went to see uh, very high-end textured wall coverings by Arte. And actually in their pictures, there were curved tables, there were curved chairs. So you can tell very much that if the stylist is using those sorts of shapes and colours to offset the new collections, that's kind of where the trend is. That's where the conversation's happening. So that, you know, and you can do that at home. You know, you notice when people are advertising showers or or, or any room in the house, what's the furniture that the stylist has put in there? And that, I think, is the key. Mm. Interesting. And do you feel like your in your cup of inspiration has been topped up? Have you come back with any new ideas for the Madhouse 2.0? I think I felt, well, this comes back to that, do I want to be on trend? Not particularly. I think I would say that rather than having deliberately looked at trends, I've probably picked up subconsciously or otherwise on the zeitgeist which is warm and, you know, softer colours. And I know you'll accuse me of doing everything brown, for those of us looking on our YouTube video. It's a bit of brown and pink in my new bedroom going on behind me. But it's it's just those warmer colours. I didn't really see pastels. I didn't see ice blue. I didn't see primrose yellow. Right. Um, so less of the of chromatic, of my sort of chromatic colours. They're getting sludgier and dirtier, are they? They're getting sludgier and dirtier and warmer. And, and interestingly, the other thing I think we did pick up on in various places in Ralph Lauren, Little Green... A lot of people have have looked back into the archives mm. to reinvent. And we know about this. I, I, I didn't look at this particularly, but William Morris has got Ben Pentreath to recolour some of those old designs. And he's done them in brighter colours to make them more modern. I wonder whether there was a feeling of rather than doing something new, let's go back, mm. see what we've got, bring it up to date, reinvent it. And there's there's two things there. It's like, are, are we reusing and that whole feeling of vintage and reusing and bringing up to date? And, and is it nostalgia? And are we looking back to a sort of nostalgic period, whatever your personal nostalgia is? Because that's where you feel safe. And, you know, things are not safe out there and they feel scary. The world's really turbulent at the moment. And I think you look back to those kind of warm, softer colours and a bit of nostalgia and that makes you feel comfortable and more safe. So I wonder whether rather than saying that such and such a colour is on trend, it's it's a mood. Mm, I think it's really I think it's really interesting this nostalgia reinvented. I mean the collection that I'm going to be launching in the autumn with Harlequin, because Harlequin is part of the Sanson group who have the biggest archive, I think in Europe, definitely in the UK anyway, of wallpapers and fabric prints throughout centuries. I mean, it's fascinating. And I've picked out some of their archive prints and recoloured them in my own chromatic colours. And I think there is something really nice if you can have one foot in the present, in the modern world, and yet play with this element of nostalgia. I mean, for some people, you know, like, you know, William Morris, there are just diehard fans who want the William Morris paper in the way that William Morris intended it to be seen, in his lovely sludgy colours. Or for other people, it might be, going with the Ben Pentreath collection of William Morris, which is like you say, he's kind of like added 70s acid bright palette to the William Morris. I think it's very interesting how to blend the two eras. Uh, interestingly, uh, Marianne Cottrell was on this trip, who is an amazing 
super stylist. Everything she does is is wonderful. And she had done the styling for the new Ben Pentreath collections. And she said, actually, looking back a lot, William Morris had used a lot of those bright colours, but they'd sort of fallen out in favour of this more sludgy thing. So although Ben had brought them up to date, there were bright colours that, that, that existed. And it's like all those, you know, they uncover a Roman mural, don't they? And they're like, oh, look at all these soft colours. And a historian comes along and goes, actually, that would have been acid yellow 2,000 years ago. You're just looking at it after, you know, layers of dirt. Yeah. Ah, oh, interesting. Oh, well, thanks for that little insight. Um, hopefully I'll get to go next year. That'd be nice. I quite fancy having macaroons for breakfast. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> awful, let me tell you. <laughs> Well, it's all very well dreaming of what curtain fabric you're going to hang at your windows. But first, you've got to actually fit your windows. And since Kate has a house full of builders at the moment, share with us your experience. Well, uh, firstly, let me say that I love my builders. I really, really do. (laughs) But it struck me that having used several builders over the years, that there are definite avoidable pitfalls. Yes, and we're here, aren't we, to share... Our wisdom. Now, I opened uh, this conversation up on our Facebook group, The Great Indoors Podcast, and asked our members over there to share with us some of their renovation nightmares. And a lot of the things that came up that give people complete trauma is unexpected hidden costs. Ooh, that's oh. all. <laughs> that's the bit. <laughs> the contingency plan, as my husband says, always have your builder's quote and then a contingency plan. So Rachel Crockford wrote on the Facebook group, and this is in a very abridged version because Rachel had a lot to say. But this is it's generally... still quite long. <laughs> it's still quite long. She says, "Buckle up, <laughs> yeah, buckle up." She says she started her second renovation in June 21 after falling in love with a 90-year-old house that needed, she says, modernisation. After learning the pitfalls of previous renovations, she thought she'd have learnt her lesson. <laughs> uh, first mistake when viewing the house was not to look behind the furniture. When we got the keys to an empty house, we realised there was only one plug socket in each room. So that was our first unbudgeted cost, an electrician. Uh, she goes on to say what, what we didn't expect was a call telling us that we had a slime problem. In the 70s, a manufacturing error meant that copper and aluminium in cable reacted and created a fairy liquid type slime which sat within the cable and junction boxes. The whole house had to be rewired. Plus, rooms needed to be replastered because this is the thing with electrics. You start, it's just like a whole... Our electrician went all the way down to the walls through the plaster, picture rail, dado rail and the beautiful anaglypta wallpaper we were intending to keep. She says that was a bad day. Once we got over the upset of all that, we had to call in our plasterer who let us know that our lath and plaster ceilings were failing and they needed to come down. (gasps) What? She says in capital letters. Suddenly, what was going to be a bit of a refresh became a whole new project, a big, long, expensive, dirty project. She says to save money, we did it ourselves in hazmat suits in the summer heat, never again. Suffice to say, I'm now sitting in an office with sockets hanging off the walls as we've run out of money and I have the pain of knowing that all my money has been taken up with the things I can't see the benefit of. She ends by saying, thanks for the therapy session. Please don't charge me. I have no money. (laughs) 
<laughs> that, I mean, we've spoken before on the podcast about how I've spiralled a bit, thinking we wouldn't have to do the windows and then we had to do the windows because it wasn't worth restoring them and then there was the heating and you get to the flooring and it absolutely reminds me, years ago we had some builders who were laying a new tile floor in the hall and the kitchen, again, old Victorian house, and they laid the floor and that was all fine. And then, of course... none of the doors would open and close because the tile floor had come up. And he said, uh, well, I've got to charge you. And this was very early 2000s. I'm going to have to charge you, I can't remember, 60, 70 pounds a door to shorten the doors to make them fit over the tiles. And I was like, are you kidding me? You knew you were fitting the tiles. You knew the doors wouldn't fit. Surely your quote included that. Oh, no. And that was a real lesson because he then threatened to walk off. We had to get him to do it. I think he just made a whole load of money. Now, maybe he saw us coming, but that was a real lesson to me that I'm very interested in Rachel's point about move the furniture to see the sockets. I now ask so many questions of builders, you know, and and a lot of the time I think this is probably a really stupid question, but I'm going to ask, are you going to measure that? Are you going to include that? Are you going to take that off? And always try and get a real breakdown of costs. And they hate doing breakdowns of costs because it's real work for them and it's admin and no builder likes doing it. But that allows you to see what they might add up. Whereas this guy had just come along and go, I'll charge you X to lay your tiles. And we'd assumed that that was the full in job. So I think you can never ask too many questions. Yeah, but going back, you know, rewind a little bit. Rachel hadn't even got a builder in by this point. She bought her hair. (laughs) I mean, well, this is really interesting. What do you do when you buy a fixer wrapper and you're completely ignorant to what it's going to cost to renovate? So I suppose the takeaway here, uh, Rachel, is... If you've got a, I mean, she thought it was just going to be a spruce, a lick of paint. Uh, that's the impression I got. Um, it's never a bad idea if you can, or if you know a builder, to take someone with you when you're looking at property, especially if you think it is going to be a fixer upper. To maybe, you know, they can maybe look at the period of the house and say, this house is likely to have asbestos, this house is likely going to need its central heating or electrics updating, just because through their experience, they know that. Houses from different decades require certain amounts of modernization. So that could be one way that people could avoid that particular type of spiraling cost. I actually did that here. I felt terribly grown up. I mean, as I say, we thought this was sort of going to be a decorative job with the new kitchen and bathroom. But actually, the builder was around and and he came and he had a look at the boiler. He had a quick look at some of the pipe work. We had a look, you know, I was aware that there would be sockets that needed to be moved. So yes, if you can get someone around, as much as anything, it's an objective opinion because you come around and you think, oh, they've got a bedside light, so that's fine. We worked out in this bedroom that I'm in now, for those watching on YouTube, that over the years, the people who'd lived in here had clearly had the bed in, in, well, almost four different positions because there were sort of double sockets on every single wall, which were basically bed width apart. So each person that had moved in and thought, oh, I'll put the bed there, I need a bedside lamp. I'll put it there, I need a bedside lamp. And so we've taken out some sockets. I mean, I know they say you can never have too many, but in a bedroom, I think, you know, there comes a point where you you don't need that many. So we took some out. When we moved into our house, there was one socket per bedroom as well. So I think looking at the electrics, actually, positioning of lighting and positioning of sockets when you're looking to buy a house is a really good idea to check them out 
that because chances are, again, if it's an old house, chances are there won't be enough sockets and the lighting won't be where you want it. So I would definitely factor in um, that kind of cost at some point. But Rachel, oh, I really feel for you. Uh, Moving on, we've heard from Beth. Now, one thing is period properties, isn't it? I am Partic- I remember when we were house hunting, because with the area in East Sussex we were looking, there were loads of grade two listed properties and it just made me and Tom so nervous when you start getting into really old houses. I mean, that's a whole other world of pain. I don't know if you have similar in America and Australia, but obviously in the UK you have these listed buildings and you're quite restricted as to what you can do. Um, so that you really need to look into that. If that's the house you've fallen in love with, look into it before you buy, because it's fine to say, oh, you know, this is a lovely grade two listed property. I'll put a bathroom there. You might not be allowed to. So that absolutely you need to check. So we heard from Beth talking of period property costs. She's on the north coast of Cornwall. And she said, we bought a four bed Victorian cottage in Cornwall last year. And the first 10 months, it treated us really well. I was looking forward to decorating after the obligatory year of living in it. But in the last month, the walls have gone mouldy, the chimney started leaking and the stonework is literally disintegrated. We haven't the money for more than decorating, so I'll have to chip away at the walls myself for the nine hours a week. My two-year-old is in preschool and the budget will have to go on lime plastering and pointing courses. Well, you live and learn. At least I can re-listen to the past episodes to keep me motivated. See you in five years, <laughs> if I'm lucky. Uh, that's what I love. And we all get lots of messages from people listening to our podcast as they're renovating their homes, <laughs> keeping you going all the way. We've had a great story from Jennifer who says many years ago we were renovating by ourselves, no contractors. My husband was very handy, she says. The kitchen in our former residence, a small lakeside cottage. As with many uh, old houses, nothing was level or square. We went down to the studs intending to upgrade the insulation and as we peeled away the interior and exposed the exterior wall, we discovered that an entire wall of the house had become detached from the rest and our home was being held together by a two inch thick steel cable that had basically been wrapped around boarded over and essentially secured the house together like a giant metal zip tie (laughs) this cable was the only thing keeping all four walls together and the roof overhead I asked my husband what we should do and his response was Well, it hasn't fallen down yet, as he proceeded to board it all back up. We moved out years ago and uh, the house is still standing. So dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Yes, well, we we will not reveal Jennifer's last name because whoever's living in that house now might have a panic. But, you know, and she also doesn't say where it is. So, you know. If you bought a house off of Jennifer, might want to check things. (laughs) Yeah, or, or not. Just keep, or not. just keep your fingers crossed. Sadly, of course, and this is the, the recurring theme, we had many tales of cowboy builders, starting with one from Gigi who said, on my very first renovation project, we had a big kitchen extension designed with large matching sash windows. My husband, at the time, that's another story, went to check on the progress and then called me to say I should go and check. I arrived to find the bricky building significantly smaller windows, like a quarter less in width than we had designed. I asked him why, and he said, Oh, you can't cut down bricks, love. <laughs> I mean, that's... <laughs> 
Yeah, that is pulling. That is having a really big go at pulling the wool, isn't it? That one. Yeah, yeah. Really, really tricky. Um, I like this one from Serena, and I'd lo- I'm looking forward to your reaction to this, Kate. Knowing that you've got a property potential property on the horizon, she says she's currently renovating a 400 square meter of beachfront gorgeousness that's been left derelict for 30 years, and this is in uh, Italy. So she says she's working with Italian builders. Italian architects. She says, I'm losing my actual mind. She says, I'm happy to tell the whole sob story, but you'll need an entire bottle of wine ready first. Highlights include the builder changing the locks and refusing to give me keys, having the whole build stopped because they're insisting on being paid for 160 square metres of walls when they were only instructed to build 80 square metres and quoting for removing 115 square metres of tiles from a roof that's only 70 square metres. Oh, and then refusing to allow me to bring engineers in to check the measurements threatening to call the police if we try and she says that's just the start i can't i can't even <laughs> serena i'll contact you after <laughs> but then move on to less of a horror story but from marion who said hmm would our builder chasing me down the road with a mummified cat he'd found in the basement count as a renovation horror <laughs> <laughs> i think so i love the fact that that's her only that's the story and she's left us to work out yeah, that's how it. that ended <laughs> And whose cat it was. Now, Beth Ballard has, I think, quite a common tale that I think lots of people I know will relate to. She says, it's not quite a renovation nightmare as it never started. The guy we'd booked to repoint our house, who was also highly recommended, and we waited for months to start. Well, he just didn't turn up on the day he was due to commence the work bit odd as we'd had quite an open channel of communication so she says she messaged after the no show kindly but just checking that you know everything was okay tumbleweed she said the house is still not repointed and I spent the money on a kitchen refurb instead (laughs) but that's that's so hard builders who don't show up when they say they will oh what is it? Builders who, who walk off in the middle. I mean, I actually was speaking to Emily Henson of A Life Unstyled and we reviewed her book Create on the blog recently. She's written on her blog about her builder who walked off in the middle. And we had in the last house, we needed to have the chimney relined with a with a metal flue because it was old and it had fallen apart. And we got a quote and the guy turned up and he did, he did the relining, you know, and pointed it all out of the top and put the holes in the wall and that was good. And then he disappeared. He never put the fireplace back. And I kept messaging him and messaging him and and he just didn't turn up. And then after about a week, I got this text message going, oh, the screen on my phone is broken. So um, I couldn't read your message. Um, I've had to go away for a family emergency. I'll be back soon. And again, nothing, tumbleweed. And he just never turned up again. And eventually we then had to pay more because we had to get another builder in. So I think we were just... And of course it was, you know, can you pay in advance because I need the materials that's the other thing. You've got to keep some money back. Yes, no, you absolutely do. And I think Camilla, who also messaged on the Facebook, this is this is exactly what you're, we're talking about. She said, we had our extension 10 years ago. It took nine months and it should only have taken 12 weeks. The builder left for a month's holiday to Australia in the middle of the build, as well as disappearing on other jobs. This is the issue. He never turned up when agreed. 
mostly only work Saturdays and my husband was only home on weekends so that wasn't relaxing for him she says the only positive thing was I went from a size 16 to a size 8 while eating microwave food (laughs) for five months um I used to work on a tv show for channel 5 called cowboy builders back in 2008 2009 and it was a tv show all about these kinds of scenarios and Dominic Littlewood the presenter's job was to hunt down these AWOL builders find out where they'd gone and confronted them and obviously having your home smashed to smithereens kitchens you can't use no running water no heating and then the builder disappears is just so stressful obviously this was a tv show so they were very extreme examples but one of my biggest pieces of advice for people is don't give builders all your money up front uh, it's really important to organize a payment schedule and I know my husband Tom is fastidious about this with his clients um, he personally with his business never took the first payment up front he'd start the work and then the first payment would come in and he felt from his point of view he'd got quite a successful building business so he could manage that cash flow but he just said it it just gave an element of trust I mean he's got to trust the client to pay him too right so it's a two-way thing because there are cowboy builders and there are nightmare clients there are as cowboy well. clients yes a little bit but um, I think for our listeners who are employing builders get a payment structure in advance and then that helps you manage your budget and then you're just giving your builder money in installments because our, on cowboy builders there were people who had literally given the whole budget the £60,000 the £100,000 up front the builder had come in smashed the house to smithereens and then disappeared with the money there's a difference between builders who can't actually run a very good business and they've taken on too many jobs and that's why they go AWOL because they're actually not just on your job they're on somebody else's and they're having to do that to keep the cash flow going and actually out and out criminals who are actually just out to rip you off so it's a very serious thing so um always get three quotes never take the cheapest one that's tom's number one golden rule go for the middle Get recommendations, go around and meet um, past customers, see the work yourself. I mean, that's not always foolproof, but it's all stuff that you can do to make sure that the build you've got is a trusted one. Do you know what I think as well? I think there's a real element of, you know, it's a bit like dating. You have to kind of like them. You know, (laughs) I've met builders before and I've just thought... You know, I, I, I just, I'm just not sure I can chat to you. No, these are people that are coming into your house probably at eight o'clock in the morning. Some of them will come on Saturdays as well. They see you at your worst, at your most stressed, trying to live your life around the edges. You've got to feel that you, you quite like them. And also, the other thing I think is, I mean, I've spoken about this before. If they've got Instagram, look at their Instagram, see their, see their work. If they're proud to show it off, as well as going round to what they've done, but. Have a chat to them about taste. I I have taste used a build with your builder. Well, oh, let's this, just yeah, interesting. Yeah, okay. Hmm. So I had a builder. Is it chap? I like him very much actually. Who did some work in my last house, and he was absolutely. You've got to have a niche in your shower, and I was like. I don't want a niche in oh, my shower. Like a little I built don't in shelf? like little built-in shelf. Right, okay. I don't like niches. They always leak. I don't want one. Mine won't leak. Mine will be brilliant. It's really practical. You really want one. I was like, seriously, I don't want a niche. It's oh, I not like what I niche. like. Oh, I, I don't know. like a niche. It's a personal thing. Okay. And we went back and forth and back and forth. And in the end, I had to say, do you know what, mate? 
There will be no niche. I think you're great. I think your work is great. There will be no niche. So rolling on to this house, different builder is doing the bathroom now. And I said to him last week, he said, what are you doing about storage? And I said, well, put it this way. There won't be a niche. And he went, oh, thank God you say that. They're a nightmare. They always leak. I hate niches. I don't want a niche. I'm like, (laughs) you're my person. And then... We were talking about grout and I said, I hate white grout, particularly in showers because it really stains and it gets all kind of soap scudgy and brown. And he went, oh, hate white grout. He said, we never do white grout. We always do coloured grout so much nicer. And I'm like, seriously, this this is my person. So I think it's your match. I found my match. So you may not have the same taste as your builder, but the point is have a chat, see what they like doing, see if you just like them. And also if you've got some ideas in line about how you want to do it. Because another builder I spoke to wanted to absolutely strip this house back to the brick and redo it all. And aside from the fact that was going to send the budget through the roof, this is a Victorian terrace. It's not meant to have really, really smooth, shiny walls and and be really modern inside. It kind of needs the quirks and wonky and bits. You that's like part that of the character. As well, don't you? Yeah, yeah you want that's the restoration. Mm. And he he was less into restoration and more total replacement. And now I found someone who more understands the idea of restoration. So yes, I'm not saying you have to agree on what kind of sofa you want, but. You need to get a sense of whether you're, to use a slightly cliched phrase, are you on the same page when it comes to the, the finished product? Uh, you see, I am very wary for builders to start stepping into design territory. Yes, I'm, I'm sure like... you are. <laughs> <laughs> because I've met a lot of very confident, I mean, I'm married one, the amounts of time I think Tom outsteps his remit as a builder and starts <laughs> like getting involved in the design. I'm like, whoa, 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 you know job role um very wary of builders who think they know best so for example your builder who thought you should have a niche my biggest bugbear is builders or or electricians who want who, who tell you where to put the spotlights and it's always in a grid on the ceiling they've got a real thing about it and I never have my spotlights in a grid on the ceiling they're always strategically placed to spotlight the thing that I want them to light and they hate it they cannot handle not putting some some builder universities told them all that they've got to put their spotlights recess lighting and a grid and they will not have it any other way so sometimes you've got to have the confidence to stand your ground with builders and be like no this is what I want this is the I mean again for me it's color and wallpaper oh no you can't paint can't paint this wall that dark color that won't work and I'm like again hello uh so but it's also about them agreeing to listen to you you know this is what I mean they don't necessarily have to have the same taste as you but they have to appreciate that that's what you want and there's a reason you want it that way and they need to listen to you. you know I will take advice on whether the shower valve needs to go 10 centimetres to the left yes. or or what technical height the things. yeah technical, technical thing the height of the desk I'm fine with that but yeah you but again so as I say you may not have the same taste but it's do you feel you can have a relationship with well them? I tell yeah. you I tell you why I married my husband and I was the one who proposed I don't know if I ever shared that on the podcast were you oh god yeah because we were doing a project together and it was a small little cottage in Brighton and I designed the kitchen and it had got wall cupboards units up and I turned up on site and Tom's hanging these wall units up and I went oh no they're not right at all are they I should have open shelving I can see already they're just too big and boxy in this little kitchen And I just, you know, he was literally finishing them off, screwing them to the wall. 
and he just sort of took a breath and he went yep okay no problem and he took them all down again and I was like oh marry me you gotta marry this because you should be like oh blinking interior designers changing your mind you never know what you want no you got you can't have open you know that's what I'm used to pushback and he was just like yep okay yep let's do that I was like, amazing. So, uh, yeah, get a, get a good enough builder. You might end up proposing. That's well, what I did. <laughs> okay. Well, I think it's time to, to move on to some more stories. Um, and now we've got a little section coming up about sort of, you know, the random quirks of houses and dealing with the neighbours. So here we hear from Paul, who says, we moved into a 1972 townhouse 17 months ago. We have the front toilet window entirely boarded up from the inside and tiled. Totally normal window on the outside. (laughs) No reason for this at all. (laughs) I absolutely love stories like this. They're so random, aren't they? When you buy a house to renovate and you're like why why is that a thing yeah it's so brilliant and it reminds me of this instagram account i follow called please hate these things i was going to mention that (laughs) which is full of like why have you got a board you know why didn't you just brick out the whole window well obviously probably to save money but it just is so wrong isn't it there's classic ones on that account you must follow it so it's at please hate these things and it's things like, I, I was looking at it this morning, actually. There's things like the cooker's been positioned here and the cooker hood is like 30 centimetres to the right. <laughs> it's like, why have you done that? But I saw an amazing one and I actually don't think it was on that account. So it's slightly difficult to imagine the architecture, but it would appear that there was a staircase leading up out of the kitchen, right? For whatever reason, picture that if you can. An open staircase with no banisters. An open staircase leading up out of the kitchen. And the kitchen, they've built these units across the front of the staircase and along the wall. And then they've put some stairs in front of the unit up to the top of the worktop. Then you walk across the worktop. Then you carry on up the stairs. (laughs) It's just... That small space living... Kind of like gone mad. Extraordinary. Oh. Yes, so you're literally walking on your kitchen worktop. On your worktop to get, to upstairs. get upstairs. So yeah, that's that's one to follow. I mean, it, it'll what that account will do if you're in the thick of a reno will, I hope, make you think. <laughs> it can't be okay, worse than well, this. it's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I wanted to share this story that came in from Charlie Mumford, who says, I renovated my entire house last year. I bought it in a derelict state and there was no way me and my young toddler could move in. It was a nightmare from start to finish. New roof, new walls, new floors, new everything. I affectionately call the house Trigger's Broom because, to be quite honest, it's pretty much brand new except three or four exterior walls. Have you ever heard of Trigger's Broom? I I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I was like, what does she mean? She called it Trigger's Broom. So I Googled it and I was treated, and I'm going to post this link in the uh, show notes for everybody. I was treated to this, um, do you remember Only Fools and Horses? Oh, I love it, yes. I don't know if you get it if you're not in the UK, but if you can find it on YouTube. I think it's They're sort of a bunch of East London traders, aren't they? From Peckham. Yeah. Del Boyd's. Del Boy and Rodney. Yeah. yeah. Del Boy and Rodney. And then there's this character, Trigger. And Trigger uh, 
as a road sweeper and we're all in the pub and Trigger announces, quite proud of himself, he got a medal from the council for 20 years service as a road sweeper and he's never changed his broom. So they gave him this medal to thank him for all the money he saved in 20 years by looking after one broom and never needing to buy a new broom. And so they're chatting around this and he's sort of saying, you know, the road sweeper's motto is look after your broom and he's getting all very nostalgic about it and he says because I took great care over my broom over the years I always bought it new heads and new handles and there's the guy <laughs> there's brilliant so broom. I love it so so that's Charlie's house Trigger's broom essentially her house is all new broom heads and new handles not an original brick left I thought that was brilliant and then we have an intriguing story hiring a detective from Sarah who says we wanted to buy and renovate the basement that's right under our apartment. We live on the ground floor in a small townhouse, which had had a total of three owners, including us. We bought one neighbour out, but the second one had moved to Germany without leaving any contact. I must say I hadn't budgeted for a detective, but we did hire one with a hilarious profile picture in matrix sunglasses (laughs) and an old-timey pipe like Sherlock Holmes. Unfortunately, the neighbour had moved to Germany to avoid the debt collectors and refused to contact us, although we were literally chasing him to give him some money. That is so bizarre, isn't it? I love that hiring private detectives. I wonder what the outcome was of that story, whether she ever got to buy her basement flat. And to finish off, I thought we should finish off on a really... Well, this is quite a happy ending, I think. And it comes from Emma, who said, I had a builder who forgot to charge us. <gasps> she says they didn't quite finish the job but had done around eight thousand pounds worth of work for labor and materials but they just disappeared so it was free (laughs) wow what a story (laughs) so bizarre isn't it Oh, we'd like more of those stories, though, wouldn't we, Emma? Quite we'd like some more yeah, happy like, endings. Although I wouldn't. Yeah. I, I, that yes. doesn't work for me and my builder Yeah, husband. if you're hiring Tom and he's yeah. Sussex, Yes, hey. <laughs> make sure he bills you at the end of it, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> got more wallpaper to buy. <laughs> oh, well, listen, I do hope that's given you some pointers, some advice, or even just some solace. <laughs> good company Um, if you've got any stories or indeed advice to share then do hop over to our Facebook group and join in the discussion it's the Great Indoors podcast and you can also find us on Instagram at Sophie Robinson Interiors and I'm mad about the house but for now thanks to our producer Sarah Cudden of Feast Collective and thanks so much to you for listening and we'll see you in the Great Indoors (laughs) 